on this week's Euro Trips podcast. Arsenal's top four hopes are all but gone, with Manchester City having one hand on the Premier League title. Out in Germany, Stuttgart grab a last cast winner to stay afloat, whilst over in Italy, AC Milan are another with one hand on the title. All that and more on this week's Euro Trips podcast. Buongiorno and welcome once more to the Euro Trips podcast. It is the final week of the season. Sad times ahead for most people, but not for me and not for Nyan, because quite frankly, we've had enough of football for the time being. Thanks, Arsenal. But it's almost time where it all matters, really. Titles yet to be decided, relegation still threatens multiple clubs, and the race for European football intensifies throughout Europe. But this week, it is just the three of us, myself, Naeem and Jonathan, and it's time for the usual. How are we, gentlemen? Yeah, I'm doing good, man. Well, yeah, I'm doing all right. One more game left of the season, then I ain't got to worry about football for eight weeks. So, yeah, it's good. Fantastical. Uh, much to discuss this week. Out in Germany, we saw a last-minute winner for Stuttgart to ensure their survival. And what that might mean for one of Europe's biggest spending clubs of the past few years. In Italy, AC Milan have one hand on the Squadetto. And in England, there's still a lot going down to the wire. But first of all, this week, we'll get the boring stuff out of the way. So, Naeem, you can now bore us to death, please. I won't bore you too much to death, but... Yeah, so over the weekend, we finally have two teams that have been relegated. But before I get to that... I'll just quickly round up the results from midweek, uh, the ones that, that were playing after the podcast finished. So, Real Sociedad, they beat uh, Cadiz 3-0. see Cadiz there in the bottom three at the moment, so we'll see what happens with them. Villarreal, they thumped Raya Velocano 5-1 from home to try and get into the Europa League spots. We'll see what, hap- we'll see what happened on the weekend with them. Real Madrid, they took on Levante. Levante, obviously, they were rock bottom of the table going into the going into the game against Real Madrid. The chances of them winning were slim to none, and they lost 6-0 in the end. Vinicius Jr. got a hat-trick. So, yeah, going on to the weekend's action, as I mentioned, two teams have now been relegated. Uh, so, yeah, when we had one game on the Saturday, which was Espanyol against Valencia. Two teams that haven't got anything to play for. That ended 1-1, and then we had all the games... On Sunday at half six, um, which was a bit annoying because I couldn't watch more than one game, but it is what it is. So, like I said, the Levante, they took on Deportivo. Obviously, either either side needed to win midweek to have, have a chance of winning. Deportivo did do that, but they rounded up losing 3-1 to Levante. And that means both of them have now been relegated because Cadiz, who, did, who took on Real Madrid... They drew 1-1. They had a chance to make it 2-1 as well, but Alvaro Negredo's penalty was saved. So a point against Real Madrid means that Levante and Deportiva are now relegated. So 
Cadiz, they will take on this weekend Deportivo. I said that they've been relegated, so Deportivo probably fancy their chances of um, staying up if they beat them. Mallorca, they won 2-1 over the weekend. Uh, they are now level on points with Cadiz, so they can still get relegated depending on how Cadiz do against Deportivo. Another team that's obviously not... I would say safe, but you never know with them. Uh, Granada, they took on they took on Real Betis, who obviously chasing that top four space. Real Betis won two 0 over them, so and they're still not safe yet. But we we shall see there. So yeah, um, that those those five those four teams. Three, sorry, three teams. They they still have a chance of going down on the final day. I will at the end go through what games they have left to play on the final day so yeah moving up to the top seven of the league uh, Villarreal they took on Real Sociedad who who ran out 2-1 winners away from home uh, the win means that they have confirmed Europa League football again and Villarreal they have to settle for conference league but Athletic Club they can only one point behind them so they have a chance of getting the conference league um, they haven't been in Europe for the last couple of seasons so we'll see what happens there uh, Real Betis as I mentioned they beat Granada 2-0 so they are three points behind Sevilla Sevilla they took on Atletico Madrid they were losing 1-0 but they managed to get a goal back to make it 1-1 but they have drawn the last four games so if they did managed to get a win against Athletic Club Madrid, then they would have secured Champions League football. But it's going to go down to the last day. Their goal difference is the same as Real Betis, so it will, it's, it will go down to the wire that game. Uh, obviously, Barcelona, they drew 0-0 with Getafe. Nothing to report on there. They've already secured Champions League football and they've, they're going to finish second anyway because Athletic Club Madrid are five points behind them. Uh, Real Madrid, like I mentioned before, they took on... Cadiz and they drew 1-1 so yeah I think they're preparing for that Champions League final they did um, rest quite a lot of players there so yeah going through the fixtures this weekend as I mentioned Cadiz they take on Deportivo Alaves win will maybe secure another season in La Liga but um, we're yet to see Real Madrid they take on Real Betis Uh, like I said before Real Betis need to win to and hope Sevilla Sevilla lose or draw to to secure that space there. Valencia, they take on Celta Vigo, nothing to play for there. Elche take on Getafe. Elche are all but safe, really. I can't see them going down. They're on 39 points. Also, sooner they take on Mallorca, who are not safe yet. So, a win there will secure, probably secure their safety. Granada, they take on Espanyol, two teams that haven't got nothing to play for. Real Sociedad, they take on Atletico Madrid. They've already secured their Europa League space, so it won't be too much riding on that game. Sevilla, they take on Athletic Club. Like I mentioned before, if they win and better Villarreal's result, they will secure Europa League football. And if Sevilla lose and Betis win, then they'll get Champions League football. And then Barcelona, they take on Villarreal at home. So we'll see what happens there. So... Only one more team to get relegated on the final weekend. That's probably going to be the most exciting thing to look out for. 
and obviously Real Betis, that game there, and Villarreal's one as well. So, yeah, not too much has gone on apart from the two teams getting relegated. So, yeah, just looking forward to next season now, really. Yes, as ever, thank you very much for that enlightening discussion, Naeem. <laughs> um, let's hope next season is a bit more competitive at the top anyway, but you would imagine it will be. Um, but, yeah, I've lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, it's not really much to talk about, really. Uh, Suarez is leaving, but... What's happening anyway is getting on a bit now, isn't it? Yeah, we can discuss that next week, right? Thank you, as ever, Noeem, for that very enlightening discussion. And now, to Germany. We saw some drama, Johnny Lad. So fill us in on everything that happened throughout the weekend in the Bundesliga. So as you were mentioning earlier, Stuttgart did come away with that Latour Endo goal in the 92nd minute to take all three points from Cologne. It was just an unbelievable finish and to see it happen in Stuttgart's home stadium. It was great, all the fans piling onto the pitch in celebration as they learned that Hertha Berlin blew it to Borussia Dortmund Hilariously, of course, Hertha scored, and I think it was the 18th minute of that game, a penalty. And after that, they, you know, started playing defensively, were packing it at the back, and were acting like the game was already in the 85th minute. And Erling Holland had a penalty in the 68th minute, and then Mukoko had that decisive goal in the 84th, and they ended up losing all three points, two to one, as they, Hertha Berlin, who I didn't think we're going to even need to be extremely concerned with the relegation playoff a few weeks ago are now right in the thick of things as they play hamburger SV in the relegation playoff later this week Two clubs. I actually saw a post on Twitter. that was kind of funny Two of these clubs are both sort of memes in Germany. Hertha have spent 375 million since 2019 and now sit in this relegation playoff with a very good chance of heading to the Zweite Bundesliga next season. And then Hamburg, of course, hilariously, one of the biggest clubs in Germany as well, but they've been stuck down in the second division for quite some time. They've got a great stadium down there and, and they just can't seem to do it. Finally, finally, they were able to get third place this year. And yeah, you can just imagine that this atmosphere, this tie is going to be absolutely unbelievable. Both of these clubs with both massive stadiums. I think Hertha's Olympiastadion fits 70, 75,000 odd supporters. And Hamburg can fit about 57,000 or 60,000. So um, it's going to be wild. But, you know, big congrats to Stuttgart. That was an unbelievable goal and, and absolute scenes down there. That, of course, means that Armenia, Bielefeld, and Greta Firth have been relegated. No surprise there. I mean, next year's Bundesliga is so, so strong. Schalke won the fight to Bundesliga. Werder Bremen is also coming back rather quickly. So, you know, at this point, probably the least well-known, probably one of the smallest clubs left come next season in the Bundesliga will be VfL Bochum were mid-table side this year and did very well, which is surprising. So I have absolutely no clue what to expect for next season as the summer is already well underway with Bundesliga signings. Another coaching carousel 
is among us as several different teams have made already made coaching changes. We'll start with Hoffenheim as they removed their coach. Gladbach have, you know, departed. Um, and Adi Hutter have both departed ways. Wolfsburg have let Florian Kofeld go. And yeah, it's just absolute madness already with those four coaching changes. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what's exactly to come and who's going to be willing to replace them as Augsburg have already let their coach go, which was about time as I've for the last couple of seasons said that Augsburg are the most boring side to watch possibly in all of Germany. It's, it's horrendous. They've got one creative player in Ruben Vargas. Ricardo Pepe hasn't done much since his move. So it's about time for them. Now for Europa League, European Champions League places, RB Leipzig did go ahead and claim that fourth spot. They pretty much just needed a draw unless Freiburg did anything crazy against Armenia Bielefeld, which they got with that late Willie Orban goal in the 93rd minute. So it wasn't looking great there for a while, but Freiburg did give them some health help as they lost 2-1 to Leverkusen. And what was a disappointing game for Freiburg is they had a great chance for Champions League with a few weeks to go. Sort of blew it down there towards the end, but at the same time, they had a difficult end of the season with Union, Leverkusen, Gladbach, Hoffenheim on their list. So that means Union and Freiburg are off to Europa. Cologne's off to the Europa Conference League as Bayern Dortmund, Leverkusen, and Leipzig get Champions League football. Excited for next year. Excited for what's to come this summer. Dortmund need to make big changes. We could see several big names from Leverkusen hit the road. And who knows what's going to happen at Leipzig as they've got a very talented squad with possibly one of the best players and most informed players in the world right now, Christopher Nkunku, who could be on his way to Bayern if you know some nameless guy named Robert Lewandowski decides to leave. Yeah, he beat me to that, actually. Um, Mr. Lewandowski himself is uh, almost begging for a move now to Barcelona. And I don't think it's come as any surprise. I think it's been quite evident that he's wanted to leave for the last couple of years at least obviously he was forever linked to Real Madrid um it never quite materialized but it seems as though this season he he wants that move he's been speaking about it quite publicly uh, as as most of sort of the hierarchy at Bayern have been as well and they've made it quite clear that he's got one year left on his contract and they're not willing to sanction a move but for me after everything that he's given to Bayern after the goals he scored and the loyalty that he's shown to the club. I believe that they should allow him to make that move. You know, there's plenty of talented strikers around Europe who they could go and pick up. Um, obviously, they'd have to you know, spend a fair bit and who knows what they'd receive for Lewandowski. Obviously, uh, an ageing player uh, on massive wages as well. You would not imagine Barca would pay a big fee for him, but it's going to be interesting to see how that one unfolds especially over the next few weeks. Um, but yeah, we could definitely see Nkunku make that move. I don't think it would shock anybody, but uh, for me, I mean, he's not really an out-and-out sort of striker. He's more he's more like a kind of Phil Foden sort of hybrid kind of player, isn't he, really? So I don't know if he would be the answer. Um, I think they would probably look at Patrick uh, Sheik, possibly, or maybe uh, Darwin Nunez, or somewhere of that kind of calibre, but... I don't know. What do you think, Jonathan? 
Bayern are in a very difficult position at the moment because I think it can be somewhat the situation is somewhat similar to that of Romelu Lukaku's last season. Inter promised the fans that they weren't going to sell him. Then at the end of the day, when they saw that you know crazy 100, 115 million euro fee or whatever it was, they broke their promise and ended up selling him. The difference between Inter and Bayern, or, or I'd say Bayern are nowhere near in financial disarray that Inter were in last summer. And that fee of what might be 40 million or so odd euros for Lewandowski, Bayern don't necessarily need that type of money. They've already promised their fans that they're not going to sell him. He has a contract to fulfill until 2023. However, you know, I could definitely see them breaking this promise. But at the same time, I mean, some of those board members are so strict and stubborn in their ways. I could see this going on and on for months and months of them simply refusing to sell Lewandowski. If he does end up wearing them down and pushes out and gets a leave to Barcelona, Bayern are going to lose money anyway. Patrick Schick will cost 70 million euros. Darwin Nunez is obviously extremely expensive. And whatever number nine they want to try and replace him, at the end of the day, won't do the trick because you just can't replace Robert Lewandowski. I don't think Christopher and Kuku's worth it right now. There are also reports that now that Leipzig have made Champions League, he'll sign a new contract and hopefully look to move next summer for some crazy fee. And I don't think Bayern's the right fit for him. Uh, Coman signed a contract extension with Bayern. Gnabry might sign an extension. Bayern have a lot of good, pretty young, in-their-prime wingers. And if you're looking for Lewandowski place, replacement, which is impossible, but if you want someone to sort of fit that mold, and Kunku is not your guy, especially with the amount of talented wingers they already have. So I think Schick, Schick would probably be their best option. But at the end of the day, I think the key here is will Bayern's board let their guard down and be willing to let this guy go before his contract you know, ends next summer? Yeah, that is literally the big question, isn't it? And Again, there are other strikers out there, obviously, who will be available. But again, you're not going to get an elite striker for pretty much anything less than 70 million. So, as you say, they're going to lose money one way or the other. But they're not exactly poor. So, you'd imagine they probably could afford it. But mm-hmm. I can see this one sort of dragging on and on. And like I say, it'll be interesting to see what Lewandowski does if Bayern simply refuse to sell him. Um and it also it also actually to be interesting to see what would happen at Barcelona with a certain Pierre Aubameyang. Um, obviously, went there in January from Arsenal on a free transfer. You know, what would his role then be if they bought in Lewandowski? Because they both play in the same position, and we've seen Aubameyang out wide. He's not anywhere nearly you know, as, as as effective. So that would be one to watch for sure. And uh, yeah, this is one anyway that will that will drag on, but one of many transfer sagas that will rumble on as the weeks move forward. But our next stop is Italy. And stop what you're doing, and in a few seconds, pause this podcast and go and watch Teo Hernandez's goal on YouTube at the weekend against Atalanta because it is spectacular. That goal has pretty much sealed the title now for AC Milan. A goal in which, you know, he pretty much run from his own box through nearly the whole Atalanta team before slotting the ball into the back of the net. Um, 
quite far into the game as well at that point. Milan were one nil up thanks to Rafael Liao, but obviously one nil was a very dangerous scoreline, and to 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 be able to do that in such a high pressure game, obviously high stakes, just shows what a player he is, and I want to take some credit for the fact that I praised this move back in the early days of the Euro Trips podcast, and when they signed him for €20 million, Euros, obviously, you know, there's that picture of Maldini and uh, Hernandez, both in Ibiza, sat in a bar having a chat, Maldini convincing him to make the move from Real Madrid. It's absolutely brilliant business. He, for me, is one of the best fullbacks in Europe at the moment, and they are very lucky to have him. And I believe he's also now set to sign a new contract with the club if he has not already. So, massive, massive win for Milan, who now just need the one point in their game away to Sassuolo at the weekend to be crowned champions of Italy. Um, their rivals, Inter, they did their part by winning their game at Cagliari, three-one. Uh, but it looks like they'll just fall short against their arch rivals this season. But I think everyone would agree that they've had a very good season considering they lost their manager, they lost their two best players, and yet they didn't spend the earth to replace them. They used their heads a little bit. They got a good manager to replace him and to replace the goals they lost with Lukaku with with an agent, Edin Dzeko, you know, is brilliant business. And, you know, they've absolutely managed to get the maximum out of Ivan Perisic, who's been brilliant. Nicola Borella has been excellent as well. So, you know, have had a very good season. And uh, if they can keep hold of some of their better players and stabilise themselves financially, then they'll be up there again next season for sure. Uh, But Roma, Fiorentina and Atalanta are all currently separated by just one point with a Europa League and a Europa Conference League place up for grabs between those 6th, 7th and 8th teams. Lazio are pretty much safe in 5th really, but it's going to be very tasty to see which of those teams miss out because they're all big teams in their own right. You'd probably say Fiorentina they currently are in eighth, so they're the ones that need one of the two teams above them to slip up, which is entirely possible. So they're ones to watch for the at the weekend. Uh, at the bottom, it looks like Salernitana are going to stay up incredibly as they're now two points above Cagliari, which means a, a win on the final day will seal it. But you'd imagine a point would probably be enough to see them stay up, which just absolute scenes for them considering the dire position that they were in only a few months ago. So wonderful to see them stay up and obviously commiserations to the teams that are going to go back down. But that's the name of the game at the end of the day. In terms of our final league, the Premier League, not really a league this week that I wanted to go into depth. Unfortunately, we have to. I'm going to let Andy swoop in like the darkness he is to talk us for a little bit before we discuss and divulge everything that happened over the last week. Hello, 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 your Lord Commander. Andy is here. Um, only joking. I uh, hope you're well, first of all. Um, hope you're enjoying the football. I know I'm speaking about an hour before Arsenal play Newcastle, so I'm probably assuming Ryan and I, you probably aren't in a good way right now, the nerves are probably stepping in. But yeah, just want to get my thoughts across over the FA Cup win. I thought it was Brilliant to win it once again. It's something we've not had since 2006. Um, seen as win the FA Cup or losing the FA Cup 2012. 
and I saw Delph and Beteke ruin the Stephen Gerrard farewell um, in 2015. So yeah, great feeling to win the FA Cup. It was brilliant watching it um, with my dad. It was extra special. And yeah, it completes the set now for Klopp, which is a really good achievement from, from the man himself. I think it's been an unbelievably, unbelievable few years under Klopp, and I think this probably is the tip of the iceberg. Um, but yeah, that is my thoughts on that. Just want to also pay credits to Jake Daniels for becoming the first professional player in the England, in England since um, fashion needs to come out as gay, and I think it takes a lot of credit for him to do this. And I think that is hopefully spur on others doing the same thing, um, particularly in the Premier League. And I'm hoping that in 10, 15 years' time, this won't be news. It will just be the norm and players will just be gay, straight, bi, whatever they want, and no one will even care. So that's what I'm hoping this will happen to it. Um, in terms of the Italian league, I just must say that I've really enjoyed. I actually watched the Italian football this weekend. I watched the Milan game and I will be watching next weekend as well uh, because it's going to be an especially good last day with two big rivals local rivals as well, fasting up for the league. And Germany and Spain, I will be watching your game because why Why should I? Um, and then Premier League, we should be set for a great last day. So um, yeah, hope you're well and look forward to seeing you all again in June. Thank you. Thank you, Andy, for that wonderful soundbite as ever. And now it's time for us to discuss the state of play in England more specifically in the Premier League. We're going to start at the bottom and work our way up as it looks like Burnley could be set to go down unless they can pull off a massive result in one of their final two games of this season. Um, Obviously, they play on Thursday. Thursday is correct, yet they are away to Aston Villa on Thursday, which is by no means an easy game and they realistically you would think need a, at least a point to see themselves go up. but again when there's only two points separating those three clubs at the bottom Everton, Leeds and Burnley it's going to be interesting because Everton they also play on Thursday they're at home to Crystal Palace who are a team in pretty decent form as well although it's at Goodison Park I expect Everton to stay up and you would imagine it will be now one of Burnley or Leeds that will go down. And obviously Everton, again, they're away to Arsenal on the final day. But for the other two, Leeds are away to Brentford. Again, a team in good form at the moment. And Burnley are home to Newcastle, who we know that are themselves in very good form. So it's going to go down right to the wire. And I still think Leeds will probably go down. I think Burnley will get something from these final two games. They looked really good, to be fair to them, um, on Sunday at Spurs. And if it wasn't for the disgraceful refereeing in this country and the incompetent VAR officials, then they would have more than likely got a point at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. But unfortunately, that was not the case. And they are where they are now. So it'll be interesting to see what happens down there for sure. Uh, in terms of the Euro- European places, West Ham have seventh place locked in unless something happens and they can maybe overtake Man United on the final day, who themselves are in sixth. Arsenal looks set for a fifth place finish after two 
massively disappointing losses in their last two fixtures against Tottenham and last night against Newcastle. Unless, as Jonathan said last week, we see a Norwich City team turn into prime Barcelona and somehow get a win, which I cannot see happening. It looks like Tottenham will make that final Champions League place. But in terms of the top of the table, at the moment, we have Liverpool away to Southampton, currently 1-1. So Liverpool will definitely need to turn that around. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure it's almost done and dusted, really. If they were to draw tonight, then Man City would have that three-point lead and Liverpool would need to win, hope that City lost and overturn a seven-goal aggregate in the goal difference, which is as close to an impossibility as you would ever think. So we'll see what happens, obviously, in the final 45 minutes tonight. But again, with the you know the two title protagonists, they're both at home on the final day. Liverpool at home to Wolves, City at home to Aston Villa, and I expect they both win on the final day. So for me, it's now pretty much almost done and dusted for Manchester City to win yet another Premier League trophy. But it's been an incredible season, nevertheless, for Liverpool with the trophies that they've won. You know, they've just just been pipped by City again. No shame in that whatsoever. They're best two teams in the world now by quite a margin, even though they're not both in the Champions League final. On that day, there's no one that's going to stop them, unfortunately. But, Naeem, what is your feelings as we turn our attention to Arsenal? Uh, the past week has not been kind to us. First of all, losing to Spurs. On Thursday night, 3-0, and last night's defeat at St James's Park. I'll let you go bef- first before I go into my little rant. Mini rant mode, yeah. Um, mm. I'm disappointed that you know we had, the, we had a good chance of getting top four football. I know the board, their um, target is probably not to get back into Europe, hence why they gave him a new deal before he got into top four. So... They're just happy with getting into Europe, so yeah, it's it's just it's just a bad end to the season, really. You know, playing Tottenham. Obviously, I know it's going to be hard playing at their ground. You know, first time they've had fans there in the North London derby, so you knew they're going to be up for it. But I know it's just, it didn't really look like we turned up really in both games. Like against Newcastle, we looked like the team that was just on the beach. You know, not really playing for anything. I know, obviously, it's their last home game. They want to put um, put in a good performance for the fans. But, yeah, we just never looked like we were going to score, to be fair. Um, it's, it's just disappointing, really, you know. Um, you know my thoughts on Arteta. I'm not going to keep saying the same thing. Mm. He's not he's not good enough. Um, he needs he needs more experience. We've got a young squad. That was the board's idea, you know, get get all these young players in. But we, just, we haven't really got any leaders in, in that team. Um, you know, Granite Jack is coming out, you know, throwing players under the bus when really he should be looking at himself because he, he's really one to talk because he's never really been good enough. He's been all right this season, but it's not very hard when, you know, your previous seasons, you've not really been that great. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to get worse next season because we're going to be in Europa League. The squad's, you know, we only played one game a week and we still struggle, still still are struggling. Um, we've lost the same amount of games that we did last season, so... 
it's you know there's not really much improvement there and it seems like every time we we go behind a goal we just there's no game plan to try and get back in. We just every time we go go down a goal, we just we always lose. So it's disappointing. Um, I, I don't really know what else to say really. Um, these, I, I don't know if the players know how much um, getting into the top four would would like would do for them. But you know, it's, we, all we can do is just moan really. But it's what it is. <laughs> I mean, for me, the last two games they looked like a team that were. Knackered. They looked like a, they looked like a, a bunch of players who were who were really tired. That had a long season. And I know that you've got there's this analogy of oh, we've only played one game a season that keeps being chucked about. But realistically, there has been weeks where we have played more than one game in a season, uh, in a week. Sorry. And although we've not had European football, and this is one that Tottenham fans have been throwing around. Tottenham last played a European game in November. So they have got no right to say anything about that. Let's be mm. realistic. Now, they were playing Europa Conference League games, not exactly the highest quality, let's be realistic. And again, they weren't fielding the, you know, a full team in those matches as well. You know, they pretty much gave up in that competition. So it's not like they've had European football to play week in, week out either most, most season. And so I'm not... You know, I know you've had West Ham and United, obviously, and other teams who have been playing Europa League and Champions League football. Fair enough. But they all do have bigger squads than Arsenal, and that's not their fault. That's our fault. You know, we let several players leave in January. But then again, were they players that were playing? No. Aubameyang was obviously the most notable one. He wasn't playing. He was exiled from the squad, a bit like Meza Ozil was. Uh, Balogun... Is an under-21. Callum Chambers has never been good enough. Nope. And although he's probably better than Cedric, he's one that I probably would have kept, considering we sold him for absolute peanuts. Um, Maitland-Niles is another one that I've seen sort of banded around. He is someone that wanted to leave more than anything. You know, he was jumping on his Instagram, um, saying that he wanted to leave pretty much. And, you know, there's no point keeping an unhappy player around. That's just going to dampen morale. So, you know, we let him leave and let him go to Roma, which, you know, he's done absolutely nothing at Roma. So for me, I didn't have a problem with who we let go in January. I do have a problem with what we try to do in January, putting all our eggs into the Vlahovic basket, which, let's be realistic, was never going to work. Oh, it was always, it. No, it was always evident. As soon as Juventus were, were lurking, that it was always going to go there. A move that hasn't worked out so far for him. It probably will do in the future, but, you know, it's not worked so far. And quite frankly, we should have had a, we should have had other, uh, other plans. Mm. Uh, there should have been strike. There were strikers, in my opinion, that were attainable in January that we could have got if we chucked the money out. But I also look at it on the flip side and think, did we really want to go into a scenario that we've seen before in which we've panic bought which never, ever worked pretty much when it comes to Arsenal. And we could have gone and spent 40, 50, 60, 70 million on a striker and they could have been an absolute flop. And we would be, you know, in a similar situation to what we're seeing now with Nicolas Pepe. So I see both sides of it, but my my rant isn't actually so much on about Arsenal. It's actually more towards the fans, uh, so-called Arsenal fans that have been gloating, saying, oh, I told you so. 
know, uh, and I know obviously Naeem isn't uh, a massive fan of Arteta. That's fair enough. We all have our opinions. Um, but I know he's not one to to be happy about the situation and to gloat about it. But there, there are certain fans on social media that have been almost happy, with, you know, where we've ended up. Now, if we went back at the start of the season and look at all of our predictions, which we will do in the next few weeks uh, in preparation for our final videos of the season, uh, you, you know, we'll, I will be amazed if any of us had Arsenal in our top five, even top six. So I know not many of us did. 99% of the so-called pundits out there did not have Arsenal in their top six. I know most people on YouTube some of some of which didn't even have Arsenal in their top 10. So the fact that we finished fifth, for me, is a clear sign of progress. Even though we're not so much better off points-wise, uh, and we have lost, obviously, the same amount of games. Conceded more as well. We have conceded more, yeah. Mm. Um, I think when, we, when you look at it on balance, we've gone pretty much the whole season without a striker. No one could have seen foreseen, obviously, what happened with Aubameyang. Towards the end of the season, we've lost arguably our two most informed players in Kieran Tierney and Thomas Partey, who were, especially Partey, who was you know, playing wonderful stuff you know, right before he got injured. Obviously, they were big blows. And I've got a sneak a suspicion that the likes of um, Gabriel and Benjamin White, uh, Bakaya Saka, I don't think that they've been fit for the last three, four, five games. They've all looked knackered. It was... A risk throwing them two centre-backs in last night, but it was a risk that we had to absolutely take. And for me, you know, again, you've got this thing being chucked around that I know was thrown around again today. Oh, well, Arsenal, they spent £150 million in the summer. We did spend £150 million, but look at what we spent it on. How many of those signings haven't worked out? You know, you look at you know, Ramsdale's been brilliant this season. Uh, Martin Odegaard's been excellent as well. Uh, Benjamin White, you know, although he's had his moments where he's you know, looked a little bit inexperienced. He's just, he's just not worth £50 million though, is he really? He's not worth £50 million, no. no. But unfortunately, that's the premium that we that you pay for, you know, home, homegrown talent. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, it is what it is. Um, and, you know, for me, he's only going to improve. But we've, we, we've put that money into players that are going to have resale value and that are only going to improve as time goes on. Whereas you look at other clubs that have spent that big money, you know they've they've paid money for either experienced players or aging players that will not have that resale value, and so for me you can't compare the two because again this summer we're going to probably spend big money. I think that's pretty clear that we that they're looking to spend between 100 to 150 million once again, obviously which they need to do. Um, but I don't get this this whole. This whole agenda you now against the club, of course, I'm biased being an Arsenal supporter. And although I was very angry last night and disappointed, you know, waking up this morning, I you know, looked at it and thought, in hindsight, would I have taken fifth at the start of the season? Absolutely, I would have done. Would I have took fifth a couple of weeks ago? No. I, I'd, have been, I'd, I'd have been as disappointed as I am now, considering the position that we were in. But I think we've just got to accept the fact Tottenham made some very smart decisions in bringing Conte in, in bringing Kulazeski and Romero in. They did not gamble in January. They made the signings. They have worked. Mm. But fair play to them. But at this current time, would I rather be an Arsenal fan or a Tottenham fan? One million percent Arsenal fan. 
because you look at Spurs, Antonio Conte is not a man who sticks around long term. He almost he almost walked when they lost to fucking Burnley earlier in the season. Yeah, he was, he was right? <laughs> this is someone who is constantly complaining, someone who wants to win trophies, and is at a club that is synonymous with not winning trophies. So they for me, they won't be competing for trophies next season. So he's gonna get bored there sooner rather than later, especially when only a few weeks ago that he was um you know begging PSG for a job. So what happens now if they come calling? We could we could we could see that happen. And no, no. for me, you know, they haven't they haven't got exactly a young squad. They've got players that are currently in their prime, mm. sort of head, heading towards the last stages of their career. And the future is much much brighter for Arsenal than what it is for Spurs. Quite frankly, we've got much more financial firepower than. And people forget that 80 million of their summer transfer budget has already got to go to the signings of Romero and Kulazeski players that they already have. So that's a lot of their budget already wiped out just through them two players. And they haven't got that many players with that resale value. Um, so I'm not I'm not that worried about, about them. And, you know, t- talking about the other clubs that might strengthen, you've got Manchester United. They're gambling with a manager that has only really coached in, er- in the Eredivisie, obviously the Dutch league, which is a you know, quite a far distance away in terms of quality from the top five European leagues. They've got a lot of players there, obviously massive egos. So again, Ten Hag hasn't really had to deal with that before as well. Nope. He's got a lot to sort out there. So I don't believe they'll be, you know, for me, that's, that's 50-50 where their season could go. And what other teams are there really that are going to threaten? Newcastle won't yet because they cannot spend as much as people think they can spend because of financial fair play. Um, West Ham, I think for me, had a had a brilliant season. Will they be the same next season? I don't think they will be. I think they'll be one of those clubs that sort of slide a little bit backwards, like we saw with Leicester. So, you know, I'm not I'm not that worried in regards to to next season. For me, we're only going to improve in the summer, and um, yeah, like I say, I'm not as angry as a lot of other Arsenal fans at the moment. I I used to get angry, but mm. I just, this team ain't really worth it. To be fair, like I I used to get angry, you know, at results and whatnot. But I don't know, man. It's just the teams, the teams that have like, there's quite a lot of teams that have got better managers than us. Like mm. we, we've got Arteta's just learning on the job, like. It, I don't know, man. It's just—it's uh, a difficult one. Yeah, I, I can't. I—I I think we'll get worse next season. I can't. I think I, the only—the yeah. only change I would be looking to make is I would look to change our director of football because I don't. Oh, Edu, man. Yeah, he needs to. Yeah, he needs to go. I don't believe Edu is the best that we can do. There are plenty of director of footballs out there that are high, high quality that we could potentially get in. Yep. You've got Mark Overmars, someone who's currently unavailable. Uh, I, don't, I don't think anyone's going to go with him with all that controversy. Probably not, but I think once that blows over, um, I could see him linked again with some big clubs. Um, Paul Mitchell was another name, obviously uh, currently at Monaco, but he was linked heavily with uh, Newcastle. So there are some big names out there who we could potentially get to replace Edu because I don't believe he he's the man. He'll be 
judged massively on what we do this summer. But ultimately, you know, he failed in January. Yeah. And obviously the spotlight's going to be more on Arteta at the moment, where it should more be on Edu on the technical team, in my in my opinion. Um, you know, by you know spending that money and and actually you know probably overspending and getting someone high quality, one of their targets potentially for the summer six months earlier, they would have recouped that money in Champions League revenue, and that's all we that's all we needed. You know, we was in for for Kulazewski as, as well. And, they, you know, they didn't go for him. And I kind of understand why, because we have a lot of wide attacking players. But, you know, these, these, are, these are players that are, that are difference makers at the end of the day. Um, but I, I, I don't think it will affect our transfer plans as, as much as people think. Um, they seem to have already had that list of targets months ago. And, you know, it might make a difference in terms of the fees that we might have to pay, the wages that we might have to pay. But it's still, an, you know, an exciting option for a lot of clubs, especially for attacking players as well. When you think of the players that they've got around them, the, the young, exciting, you know, free-flowing football that they're going to have around them potentially. So I still think a good summer is, you know, ahead of us for Arsenal. What's your tar- what would you be a target for next season then? Top four. Without, without a shadow of a doubt, because Chelsea are another team that people, a lot, a lot of people aren't talking about. They've now got to rebuild their entire defence. Yeah, yeah, Rudiger's gone. Christensen is pretty much gone. As could be gone. Marcos Alonso could. Yeah, we, we we could see Chelsea's back four as Barcelona's back four next season. <laughs> they're, all being, they're all being linked with Barcelona. Um, obviously, Rudiger's gone to Real Madrid, but they're only going to be left with, um, you know, a 90 year old Thiago Silva and, <laughs> um, you know, Mal- Malang Sarr. Um, Chalaba as well. Chalaba, who isn't really a, you know, an out and out defender. So they've got to, you know, use a sizable amount of their money just on their back back four, back five or back three, whatever they play with next season. And we don't know. It's almost certain that they're not going to have the same financial power going forward as what they had under Abramovich. We know, we know what American owners are like. They are tight with their money. They're not going to be spending the kind of sums that we've seen before. So, again, I don't think it's that bright for Chelsea. The only two teams that are safe next season are the top two 